and welcome to a bonus episode of Historically Thinking. It's a conversation about the backstory of my book, Daniel Morgan, A Revolutionary Life, the biography of the action hero of the American Revolution, a homeless boy who didn't know his age when he arrived in Virginia, and by the time he died, a decorated brigadier general, a retired congressman, and the owner of tens of thousands of acres of land. In this conversation, I'm talking with John Slaughter, Group Superintendent of the Southern Campaign of the American Revolutionary Parks for the National Park Service. Those parks are the Overmountain Victory National Historic Trail, Kings Mountain National Military Park, where the Overmountain Trail ends, 96 National Historic Site, and Cowpens National Battlefield. John and I recorded this conversation in his office just on the edge of the Cowpens Battlefield. We talked about that battle, Morgan, and the consequences. You can buy Daniel Morgan on IndieBound, Barnes & Noble, or on Amazon. For autograph copies, go to historicallythinking.org, click on Daniel Morgan in the banner, and find out about the fine local bookstores in Virginia and South Carolina that carry autographed copies. So, uh, I'm with John Slaughter. Uh, you are superintendent. It's just I love saying superintendent. I do too. You know, I bet you do. It's almost as cool as the hat. Yeah. It's <laughs> almost a, of what are you? Because it's a very long. It's a. Uh, it's a title that only the U.S. government could invent. Right. Superintendent of the Southern Campaign of the American Revolution Parks Group, and we are at Calpens National Battlefield. We right are. now. We just walked around the battlefield. Um, so this is a. Uh, as uh, you probably already heard in the intro, this is one of my continuing sort of behind-the-book podcasts. And so we are at the epicenter of the Dan Morgan legend, the mythos, as the n- nerds who played Dungeons and Dragons used to say. Or was that the English professor? Uh, and <laughs> so um, I'm all giddy. I'm like, I just got led into Disneyland. Um, it's a cold day. It's rainy. It's perfect. It it's, is perfect. It's a beautiful day at Cowpens. It is. Um, and uh, we're going to nerd out here a little bit. So if we'll, but hopefully, if you don't know anything about Cowpens, you'll know something more about it at the end. So, but I'm going to try to. Uh, I'll try to say more things than just Dan Morgan. What a heck of a guy! But of course, we'll do that too. So, um, what when you try to explain Cowpens to someone, we've been talking about how uh, very few battles are turning points. <laughs> And very few battle, or at least they're turning points in ways that sometimes we don't appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly not until the war is over. Right. Um, Gary Gallagher, of course, is, has a whole long riffs. He gives entire 55-minute lectures about how Gettysburg is not a turning point. Right. It doesn't change anyone's mind, but you've tried to avoid the turning point language. So what do you say to people about cowpens when you're trying to explain to them? Your elevator pitch, your, you know, what's, your, what's your thing when you, when you, when you talk about cowpens? So r- rather, than, rather than set aside the idea of turning points, I try to embrace it in that all, um, every skirmish, every action is a turning point. It's a, something that things depend on every, it, things it really go in does. different I directions. Mean, yeah. we, always hear, we always hear, well, if cowpens didn't happen... You know, Yorktown never would have happened. If we, if uh, Musgrove Mill didn't happen, right. then Kings Mountain wouldn't have happened. So what you're saying in really nerdy historiography language is that every battle is a cont- moment of contingency. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's true. But, Absolutely. But, of course, most of the time when we get up in the morning, it's a moment of contingency, too, which is good to remember. 
Right, which is why we at the Southern Campaign, the American Revolution Parks Group. They just said that all in one. Like, know, how about that? that? Was, there just, wasn't hardly a space. Just rolled off the tongue. That was amazing. Right. <laughs> we, um, something, we'll shorten that and just yeah. call it, uh, in legal terms, the Southern Campaign. Yeah, yeah. Group, um, or the group. <laughs> but um, we, one of our, one of our mottos is um, uh, the turning points uh-huh. of the Southern Campaign of yeah. the American Revolution. And, and that's because, you know, so many, so many folks have such a hard time getting beyond their battle, whether it's the local battle or whether it's the battle in their heart that they've decided is, is yeah. the battle that they're going to champion um, as a historian. Um, so often it's just it, it's really hard to yeah. be able to get folks it's, to see beyond that particular moment in time or that particular spot on a map yeah. to be able to look at the larger impact of the entire campaign of, of the South during the American Revolution. I guess that's what, you know, in old school terms, that's what separates an antiquarian from a historian. So it's between someone who's interested in this, just only in this thing here, right. versus its connection to everything else. Right, right. Yeah. Which is a movement, I think, that's happening now, and which is um, uh, perfect for um, many of the um, texts that are coming out, mm-hmm. many of the, the um, purposes that, that are being presented nowadays, uh, is this idea that it is much bigger mm-hmm. than an individual place. And, yeah. um, and even within the park system, that's tough for us to understand yeah. sometimes. It's yeah. tough for us to, to grasp because so many of us like to believe that our battle or our, or our park or our skirmish is the most important thing that happened. And it, and it gives us a sense of existence. Yeah. And, and yet being able to comprehend that place and, and how it is a piece of that puzzle is so much more. You, you, get, you garner so much more and you gain so much more because now you're part of a much bigger movement, a much right. bigger entity. So you can create a, you're creating a story. Absolutely. Part of Kings Mountain's story is that uh, the rebels camped here. Did Tarleton, uh, did Ferguson camp here as well? But on the way... Ferguson didn't actually camp but here. But the, the, the rebels did on the way to finding him at Kings They Mountain. absolutely did. And up until just a couple of years ago, that wasn't something that was celebrated here on this site. Yeah. And when we started incorporating that and celebrating that... It, you would have thought that that uh, people thought I had lost my mind. That well, oh my goodness, you're taking the focus now off of the battle in January yeah. and you're putting it on this battle in in October. But you don't understand why people were here in January if you don't understand that people were actually here in October. Exactly. You know, even as a how a, did they know where to come? Yeah. Meet and, me at the cow. Pens. It's a crossroads. Meet me at the, the cow. Pens. In the in the very in the, in the most remote one of the most remote parts of the British Empire. That's not Bengal. The Western frontier. Yeah, it's the Western frontier. Um, so we never got to white cowpens. What's your one? What's your one-liner for cowpens? So my one-liner for cowpens is probably uh, this. This is this is where leadership is made. This is what. What do you mean by that? Well, um, <clears throat> when you look at Daniel Morgan and the leadership that that he presented, and 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 not just. Often we look at leadership when we look at this type of leader, but when you look at him and you look at not only the, the type, but his actions and who he was and his understanding and knowledge, not only of his own troops and of, and of battle, but also of his enemy and what to expect from them and the many contingencies that come with that, um, his, his leadership created leadership. It created leadership all the way down to the most basic militiamen. The newest guy on the field had a sense of ownership of leadership so, on that field. So what, what, what do you think, what, what then would, well, now you're going to get me really Socratic here. Um, what's a leader? How, would you, how are you defining leader here? Sure. So, right, that's the ultimate question. Yeah. And I think every man, person, um, 
has has to examine that. Yes. You know what is leadership, and what does leadership mean to you? And and you know for uh, you know a seventeen year old militiaman who is who is facing battle for the first time, leadership I'm sure means something much different than you know the seasoned veteran or um, or the uh, or the wife that was that was left to protect the family or the grandpa that you know couldn't couldn't make it but still had to provide some sort of oversight and leadership at the time so i think leadership is really you know it's situational mm-hmm. it's individual mm-hmm. you know and what we're willing to take on and what we're willing to do to um exert that influence and that command over others and over ourselves mm-hmm. at the, at, the, at at a particular point in time leadership often involves followership as well which uh, i don't we don't have that many institutes for followership studies yeah. um, but it that's a large part of it it is and you know and really the first follower is actually the first leader you know it's, morgan was responding to someone else <laughs> um, uh, he was following green um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And every movement, every movement in time is, 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 uh, propagated by that first person that's willing to follow somebody. Yes, that's right. Right. Yeah. And so that person's leading others into a movement. Um, it, it's, it's, uh, this is, this is a place that the leadership qualities and the leadership standards are still studied to this day yeah. by every military institution institution in America. What do you think they find when they get here? They find you, 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 they you find, sat in on some of their field staff rides. What are they what are I they have, looking at? And, and and one one staff ride might come out and explore the idea of you know the the typical idea of leadership and mm-hmm. and leading troops or tactical leading, command blah, tactical blah, blah. command narrowly narrowly tactical conceived. command another one might come out and look at logistics another one might come out and look at the the you know the 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 mindset of of uh, controlling you know uh, movements and mm-hmm. and um, and so it's just it's it's always interesting and that's why for you know for two hundred years uh, military leaders have been coming out to this site to do that to examine. How did how did Daniel Morgan and this group made up of so many different types of individuals and so many different levels of professionalism mm-hmm. um, accomplish what they accomplished against what was at that time considered you know the most elite fighting force of uh, probably in the world? Oh, okay, let's not quibble about that. No. The French and Prussian armies are better than the English. Well, I think we don't like to th- we don't, depends on we don't like to think we don't like to think that. It's not part of the English story. Right. But you know, Royal Navy, sure. I'll right. give you that. Right. But British Army, you know, it's right. you know the well, uh, in the British Army. Well yeah. The, well certainly <laughs> what he encountered here at Cowpens were the best of the British Army. There we they go. were the they were the absolute, we can agree on we that. can agree on that. We can agree on that. Yeah. Um, and they, God knows, they were a heck of a lot better than they had been six years before. Absolutely. Um, and so were the Americans. This yeah. had been six years of refining fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the loyalists that he was facing, right? He's fought, there are 300 Americans on the other side of the field. Right. Um, some of them deserters from the Continental Army, some prisoners from the capture of Charleston, who, Charlestown, who did not want to go on the prison ship. Right. Those those were the people in Tarleton's Legion, but they were good too. Right. They were they were all they had all gotten good um, through a very a very regimented training process <laughs> called time. You know that's what I think that's the amazing thing about Cowpens and about the Southern Campaign too. Um, so uh, 
So I guess the one question I would love as a the truly nerdy question I haven't even asked you yet, walking around the place is, why here? I, I, I think I say somewhere in the book that I think very early on, Morgan got tired of being asked, why did you fight at the Cowpens? Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets almost impatient about being asked about this. Yeah. So what's your answer to that? I have my, I have my theories. I can, you know. Well, you know, if, just based on, on my opinion of Daniel Morgan, I would, I would almost ask the question is why not? Yeah. You know, it was, it was time, you know, the running, the, the there, there's only so far to move. You yeah. can, you can only move so many men so quickly, so, so much distance knowing, you know, who he had, who he was facing, mm-hmm. where he was at, and how was he going to get the forces that he needed to be successful? Mm-hmm. Um, he first had to pick a place that people knew. Yeah. And many of those militiamen um, that were there. He had someone with him who actually lived right on off the field, right? There near or nearby. Right, right yeah. here off of the cow pens. Mm-hmm. We actually, um, we, uh, we've been able to track down a number of um of militia that fought here that had also fought at Kings Mountain. Mm-hmm. And even some who didn't fight at Kings Mountain but stayed here while the battle was What's taking place on? at Kings Mountain. Oh, so he had local knowledge. Here. So so the and, and you know and this Calpens here was was kind of known as a yes. as a gathering place. Yeah. And so um, picking a place that wasn't obscure, picking a place that he knew that people would know how to get to, I think was an important place. And then also, you know, close enough to the broad river that he could have that conversation to let people know that, you know, we run, we die. We don't have any evidence of him saying that, but you know, he must have said it. Well, or at least, or at least they made knew sure that they, they everyone knew. knew. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. I, I think that, that, that strikes me as right. I, I can imagine, just imagine Morgan saying, this'll do. Yeah. You know, this will do. No place is perfect. This will do. Why not? And certainly, according to that one testimony of the militia captain or major, I forget now, who led him around the place, that more, he said, by the time of their ride, Morgan said, this, 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 this is excellent. Mm -hmm. You know, this is where Morgan will win or die. Right. Um, Very, that's also a typical Morgan statement. You know, old Morgan will win or die here. You know, this is. Grandiose for anybody else, right? But typical I, for him. He, I think he meant it. Yeah, you know, and he did. You got to wonder if maybe he kind of looked for that too. Yeah, uh, is this is this the one? This is the one. Yeah. Um, so here they are, and uh, Tarleton's coming on fast. It took me a while to thinking about this. Um, I th- think I, I said this to you as we were walking, the importance of the whole campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to consider battles. I think I'm a lay person when it comes to battles. I'm not a military historian. So I have often found myself thinking about battles when I should be thinking about campaigns and thinking about the whole Calpens campaign was really helpful. Mm-hmm. And thinking particularly about a, a place, um, the Hammond store raid, mm-hmm. which will probably not be ever be part of the Southern campaigns. No, of, it is. Is it? We call it. I mean, call it? that's one of the great things. No, but you don't have, it's not going to have a, oh, like, no, 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 a no, marker. It, it probably will never interpretive be, center. probably will never be a national park unit, right. but that doesn't mean that it won't have a, a, a tie yeah. to us. And, yeah. that, and that's a huge part of what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And, and hopefully we'll get to talk a little bit about that. 
because we we kind of see ourselves as the steward yeah. of the Southern Campaign. Yeah. And that's not just the the four well, units that well, that I cool. oversee, which is Cowpens and Kings Mountain and ninety six and the Overmountain Victory National Historic Trail. Which is the route to get to Kings Mountain the from route, t- the, the route from that the Overman Eastern Tennessee. Absolutely. And to, and also uh, eastern North Carolina well mm-hmm. western North Carolina. And western Virginia too for right. that. Right. I, so I have to say, you know, out of my Virginianness, now, I have to, you know, come on. Yeah. Hey, uh, we've hey. got some Virginians that came down here. William Campbell, come on. Yeah, absolutely. And it turns out, it turns out, uh, one of uh, this. I know this is a sidebar. No, no, this is this is a podcast. Going but this sides. is this is was this is something that's really cool. So you know, you can probably tell by my thick accent that I'm not necessarily from the South. Yeah, I'm not either. <laughs> but I just I'm a, I got there. I got to Virginia as soon as I could. That's why I, I tell. That's why I tell Virginians they like that. Right. <laughs> well, we moved. We moved from the West. Um, it's been about eight years now. And, mm-hmm. um, and so coming out here and taking on these parks and, and, and learning and, and you know, growing more in depth and in love with the stories and, and the characters and the people, you know, and this connection, having this connection to the story was just uh, something that, that for me was very foundational. And uh, last year, Father's Day, my, my daughter uh, got me the uh, Ancestry DNA <laughs> thing for for father's day mm-hmm. and i waited a couple of months and did it and sent it in and and uh got the results back right before uh the the anniversary of uh, the battle of Cowpens. and it turns out uh they make all these connections for you on your ancestry tree and it turns out my daughter points out she says dad look right here straight up on my mother's side on my grandmother's side um Straight up, my sixth great grandfather is Captain Thomas Gourley, and uh, she says, "Dad, he's he's a Revolutionary War soldier. You know, let's find out a little bit more about him." Dug into him. Turns out, he fought at the Battle of Kings Mountain. That's cool. So, is that I, you, you find this connection? You've and, come home, and it, and it feels that way sometimes. And so, to to kind of turn that on, there's this personal commitment that I have to to help yeah. America understand the significance of the Southern Campaign, because it really goes that that most of Americans don't know this story. They don't understand the significance that 12 months and five days from the Battle of Kings Mountain, the surrender at Yorktown occurs. 12 months and five days. Been fighting for years before that. And so um, this, this, this lost piece of our history is do you think, being... Do you think it's been lost? I do. I do. I think I think it's been lost, and, and and there's arguments that you know that there's reasons for that. Uh, that uh, I can think of a couple. But. That, that come around, you know, the middle of the the 19th century, yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah. So you know, there's there's a there's a recognition, you know, prior to 1840, 1850, that Cowpens and Kings Mountain were two significant events. In in this in a series of events uh, that led to the demise of the British in, in yeah. the Americas, it's it's okay. it's hard to that's another segue. It's hard to figure out the influence of the Civil War on 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 that sometimes because I know in a weird way, of course, the Mount Vernon Ladies Association was founded by a great niece of none other than the Butcher Cunningham, mm-hmm. Bloody Bill Cunningham mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. backcountry lore and legend who. Used to terrify. It was used as to, as a story to terrify little children not that long ago right. around here. And his great niece founded the Mount Vernon Ladies Association. How about that? There, there are second and third acts in American history. There are. Um, and I think we just there's the Washington Light Infantry put a monument to on Cowpens uh, the battlefield 
1856 was that? Yeah. And and I think both of those those actions are sort of pre-Civil War actions to emphasize that the South is part of the United States. Right. Um, certainly Mount Vernon was to, to be in a way, that's why they're supposed to be representatives from each state on the Ladies Association board. It's a national reconciliation right. thing. And, well, then, and then there are several places like Yorktown started it really... Uh, on the centennial of Yorktown as a by Virginians to sort of like get readmitted into the national consciousness mm-hmm. as part of the American story mm-hmm. yeah. but but from a different slant yes from, and it and it's from very a slant. yeah and it's very um, after the Civil War it's very hard to find good literature that um, it, no, that's very true that that points to the significance of the uh, that the South played it in is. the American Revolution and yet Guilford part uh, Guilford courthouse not part of your unit right. maybe one day no you won't explain uh, to is I think all those statues went up in the 1880s. Right. I think that was definitely like part of the Yorktown thing that mm-hmm. was trying to mm-hmm. establish a different past for the South, mm-hmm. you know, post-Civil War. But you're right, the literature just, just stops. It does. It does. It just does some, of it, some of it actually, you know, is much harder to find that existed before that. So, And then and some of the first books are by people who are sort of Southerners who want to, in the 50s, who are sort of enthusiasts. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, and 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 I, I experience it. I experience it, you know, monthly yeah. with different groups that'll come through, and um, we'll have we'll literally have people still that will come up and say, "Well, who won? The, was it the North or the South who won this battle?" And you're like, "Have they taken the tour yet? <laughs> Did they have they have they walked around it's, yet?" It, it's 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 sometimes it sounds silly, yeah, but um, but it's the, it's the truth. I mean, you know, and I and I don't want to sound you know harsh, but. Um, you know, it's it's really you know what we're learning. What we're learning in the classroom um, is not what our history is. It's mm. too much of it is um, you know social dynamics versus what is our real history. And let's just tell the history for what it is, mm-hmm. and then let that determine. Let each individual own their leadership for where that history takes them mm-hmm. in society. And I think it's um, it's really important that that this part of our story and the founding of our nation comes out because because we've we've in this day and age with all the divisions and so much separation um, between you know the, the numerous entities that are out there talking about you know what's really important mm-hmm. to them we we lose sight of of who we were when we first became a nation. And um, and that we were a nation of of uh, deep thinkers, and we were a nation of very simple individuals, like Daniel Morgan. Right. Um, I'm not sure he was a deep thinker. At least he never. I mean, he probably was in his own way. He hated writing, of course, but uh, in the end, it's very. You have to judge him by the way of reading him is by his actions. So let's. He comes out here in December 20th. He reaches the South Carolina backcountry. Uh, what's the backcountry? We should probably define that. So the backcountry, basically, of South Carolina is anything from um, from about uh, 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 east east of uh, Charleston. Yeah, basically down down to ninety six, yeah. and ninety six was kind of the western western frontier. Ninety six would have been the crossroads. Yeah, um, you know, for most of uh, most of the beyond uh, ninety six. Beyond ninety six is Indian country, Cherokee, basically. Cherokee territory. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's almost I guess tidewater. Uh, it, is. Uh, it is. And and the terms are different in South Carolina than they are in Virginia. But mm-hmm. 
tidewater areas, that regions there where uh, there is a tidal flow, mm-hmm. that's the low country. Mm-hmm. And at least in 1780, everything else is the back country. Right. Uh, we would now, in modern South Carolina, they call it, refer to, you know, upstate, up country, and then there's some heretics Midlands. talk about the Midlands. The Midlands, right. I'm not sure. I, I'm well, not, I don't, we're not sure what that is either. I'm not You'll sure. You'll have subs- to ask the folks at Camden. Yeah, I'm not sure I subscribe <laughs> to that sort of nonsense. <laughs> right. There's, yeah. this, there's, this idea, there's this idea that Camden... Um, in Columbia, I think. Yeah, yeah. Is is this really, you know, yeah. I, I mean, it's a significant battle. Very significant. Um, it's a very significant battle. What what it was significant for is always yeah. is always the... Um, Turning South Carolina to a British colony. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but, but yet, you know, again, the passion around the Southern campaign and, and all these victories and losses, you know, is so, yeah. is, is so intense here. And the idea to be able to... to um, Catalyze that and just turn it into something that's bigger than any single place, and take that forward into into the yeah. educational systems and into you know a but mainstream let, America. Let's get back to backcountry. Sure. What's it like in seventeen eighty? The seventeen is brutal. Seventeen eighty is why is it why is it brutal? It's brutal in the backcountry because right now you know it's it's brother against brother. It's is that really true? Oh yeah. Oh absolutely. It's yeah. it's brother against brother. It's uncle against uncle. There's yeah, there's true. there's battles there's battles that are taking place where brothers are literally hunting down their brothers to kill them. Um, because they're fighting on one side or the other, and um, you know, documented yeah, it's stories. not just family. It's not just family versus family feuds. That's the the careful thing I like to point out to people. No, it's not just these sort of so those sorts of social dynamics. Ideology is involved when brothers against brother. Oh, and and it's deep, and it's mm-hmm. deep, and there's you know there's many examples of of how that plays out. Um, during battles and even after battles. Give, give, um, give, give, give me well, a great example is, uh, you know, after the Battle uh, of Kings Mountain, you know, and the hangings that took place at Biggerstaff. You know, many of those hangings took place because of... Because how, many, how many people were hung? 12, I, there, I think it was nine, nine. That, were, that were hung. Um, there would have been a lot more. There was mm-hmm. a lot more scheduled to hang, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, uh, it, was, it was cut off. Um, for, <laughs> but, but it served its purpose. It served its purpose to to assuage some of the political needs for retribution and, and um, retaliation uh, as well that was, ha- that was happening um, across, really across the, the, um, the back country at Be- that time. Because the war in the back country, to use a cliche, uh, which is still true, is a war for hearts and minds. It really was. And it's, a, it's a, to see who will last longest in spiriting up the people. That's what Green's instructions are to Morgan. Mm-hmm. That really had been Patrick Ferguson's uh, job. That uh, was his job. That was his job. And he was getting too successful at it prior to King's Mountain. He was turning the backcountry loyalists into a, an effective fighting force. Lo- fighting force. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably on the, going from on the verge, he could have taken them into being a provincial fighting force and just mm-hmm. a very effective militia. That, um so it's a seesaw back and forth between who is going to last longest out here and convert and defend the and defend the people and protect them and make them feel them feel safe and protected and make the other people feel exposed naked and ready to turn sides. Yeah, and the, and I think the proximity to the brutality of of you know the frontier was also played a big part in it. You know, just the survival factor and um, the extremes that that folks would fight at and um, and that folks would go. To yeah. um, to survive, 
uh, you know, played out in, in much of the warfare here. And that's yeah. why, you know, so much of it was just, you know, downright, downright mm. fighting, as we've heard. Da- right? Downright fighting. Um, this is a rolling country. Mm-hmm. It's uh, low in the in the low creeks and rivulets. We've got the cane break. You have to explain what you've explained what a cane break is to um, to me earlier. So what's a cane break? Sure. So, you know, the cane, the cane breaks and, um, you know, and, and many of the, the cane fields or cane patches, you know, became key elements uh, for uh, strategic um, elements uh, because they were they were basically impassable, mm-hmm. and um, horses wouldn't go in them. They they wouldn't because they knew that they didn't like the way it felt because of the ground. They also knew that there were snakes in there, mm-hmm. and um, so to take a horse to a cane break was really tough. Was mm-hmm. a really tough uh, endeavor, and yeah, horses uh, and you operating could, against interest, right? And you could and you could channel you could channel um, forces. So, uh, you know, if you if you had a cane break and you were fighting against a cane break, you could certainly um, then control how your enemy would advance on you um, by making them go around the cane break and come out. And that act, that's actually part of what happened here at Cowpens. And, and then we've got now Cowpens. We'll get to why it's Cowpens, but it's a service savanna. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. uh, pastures with mm-hmm. lots of trees. Is that a natural feature of the of the? Of the backcountry at the time? No, no. Many of many of the trees and these uh, the 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 grounds now. Um, uh, we've done a we've done a pretty excellent job, I think, of of um, doing restoring some of the mm-hmm. cultural landscape, as mm-hmm. we would call it, mm-hmm. um, to what it would have looked like uh, at, at the time of the battle. We still have a long way to go. Sure. Um, you know, we have a lot of trees that we would like to remove. We've removed a lot of trees. You know, because basically it was, uh, you know, it was um, it was an open pasture land. And uh, very few and sparse trees. And those mm-hmm. trees that were here didn't have limbs hanging down at six feet. They would have been broken off as high as you could reach standing on the back of a horseback, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to, you know, pull firewood and, and, and yeah. whatever else was sure. needed at the time. So, but uh, was the was the backcountry heavily wooded? I mean, what's the what there was, the, you know, in the bottomlands, it was heavily wooded. Yeah. Um, certainly, uh, you know, those were those were great great areas. Any any place you could find water, you were going to find woods. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, you know, but there was there was a lot of uh, a lot of rolling lands, a lot of uh, open landscape. Um, much of the landscape was cleared for agriculture. There were that many people out here by that time. Oh yeah. Now, what, so what do you mean? Do you, we have. I'm sorry to like push you on these things, but. Um, do you have a sense of um, what's the population like around Cowpens back in 1780? Well, it still would have been sparse. It would have been pretty sparse, and you would have found you, you would have found smaller communities, the Spartan District, um, mm-hmm. so to say, that would have had you know community centers, um, Fort Thickety, you know, right down the road that would mm-hmm. have you know had some you know a little bit more uh, higher populations. Um, so we're not talking no. certainly not you know metropolitan type areas in the. You know, in the, and it's in not the low even, country. Yeah, it's, right. It's not even as thick as the low country. There are really, there are enslaved people up here, but not that many. Not that many. At all. Yeah, most, there, most there's of the folks. nothing for them to work on yet. There's not a whole lot of, of um, the agriculture that, that's going on up here is mostly, um, mostly beef. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and the rest of the agriculture that's happening is just small farm agriculture. Yeah, that's you know, one of subsistence. Yes, subsistence. Subsistence. Yeah, I see. I, I'm sorry, you got spooked. Interesting. Uh-huh. Um, people don't realize how big a. And I, I think you've heard Walter Edgar talk about this. And uh, what a big deal beef cattle were 
for South Carolina's economy. Oh, yeah. Um, we know about the rice and the indigo and all the rest of that sort of thing and tar and turpentine in North mm-hmm. Carolina. But in the Carolinas, cowboys were king. They uh, were. They, it, we don't think of them as cowboys, but they were. And they sent a lot of cattle to Charleston and Edenton and to the ports to Absolutely. be killed and sold down and sent to be eaten as salt beef by slaves in the Caribbean. That was that was uh, a, these, that's how these people made you know such credit obtained such credit or cash money as they could. Right, was doing that, and that's why there's a cow pens here. That's why there was numerous cow pens. There here. are numerous cow pens. And there's cow pens all over the all over the upstate, and you know, and that's that's always one of the challenges. We've we've uh, heard it called Hannah's cow pens. And that was that's persnickety people for years have always and said it was called Hannah's. Cow right, pens. right, right. Well, but we, Hannah's is not here. We, Hannah's is not here. Hannah's is more um, uh, towards Gaffney. This this would have been Saunders cow pens. Yeah, and uh, but they just call it the cow pens. Yeah, they it? do. They yeah. do. But yes, uh, in the primary sources. So Morgan ends up here, and uh, we were talking earlier about uh, why. Um, so why here? Did we already talk about that? We did, oh, and we I did. said, why not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was the place, so he's here, it was the but, place that made the most sense. Well, the Give place him. that made the most sense. He's, uh, and Tarleton's close behind him. He's, he's fast charging, too. Yeah, and Tarleton right always moves fast. Um, and, and Morgan knows how fast he can move and, yeah, how, he can and move how quickly he's going to get to wherever he's going to be. But Morgan has been luring him into, and you know, I don't know if he knew he was doing this or not, if it was intent, but it's a logistical trap. Morgan is already, he's got, the militia have lots of horses. They've been grazing over the areas that um, Tarleton's now coming over. Uh, they've been eating everything that's in Tarleton's. That's and so Tarleton's enter into it and eaten over district mm-hmm. wherever mm-hmm. Morgan is moving. So it's he's entered into the whole Morgan's whole campaign is sort of a trap, a logistical trap, drawing tar- Tarleton then on the battlefield into a tactical trap. Mm-hmm. It just is interesting to contemplate. I don't know if that was his intent or that's just the way it broke down. Uh, Tarleton does spend a lot of time waiting for supplies, you know, at, at one crucial moment in the campaign. He does. He, uh, you know, Tarleton's drive, I think, is um, is something that uh, that Morgan counted on. Yeah. He, he counted on the fact that he was going to ride through the night and that he was going to show up um, to fight without any rest. As he, sa- he says in that letter to Ed Snickers that I had no doubt that he would offer a fight, or mm-hmm. words to that effect. And right. he, he knew the psychology of the person that, that he was going to fight. So he knew, he also knew that if he traveled much farther, that Tarleton would have time to rest. Tarleton yeah. would have time to, um, would make time um, to, to get his men ready for the right fight. Yeah. I, today, I, driving down here, I was struck again. The broad is not that near. Um, it really isn't. Uh, it's about 12 miles. That's, Morgan moved these guys pretty fast, but that's about a, is that a little under a day's march? I think he was moving 16 miles a day. It's, a, it's, it's under a day's march. But then, yeah. uh, but the, and then today, the broad is very much in flood. Mm-hmm. And that, I think it was getting, or certainly was rising. There had been it was. rain before, and then it was, it was a lot swollen. of rain after. It was certainly swollen. And, it's not, and looking at it even today, it's quite a proposition to cross mm-hmm. when it's swollen like mm-hmm. that. It's a, you need boats. Well, there's a few places. There's a few places. There's, there's, there's few places to do it. Yeah. And, um, you know, some of those places are, are um, uh, perfect places to spring a trap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... So we um, so he gets here. He and he, he, 
we have to describe um, for <laughs> nothing like describing a battlefield for a podcast li- uh, listenership. But um, as I said to you several times today, I, I just I'm glad I at least I remembered it right when I was writing the battle because it is the most interesting battlefield I think in in America. It's so so cool it's just so it's so weird it's it's, it's so it's so it's i don't know how to describe it's it so subtle and subdued and yet so articulated when you're standing in the place right it's not simple it's a it's got it's a landscape it looks kind of flat but then there's a knoll or a hill or you walk 20 feet and you're all of a sudden you're on a rise and you can see things and there are swales and there are folds in the ground you realize oh i'm a person on a horse could be completely hidden in that fold, but it didn't look like it's the most confusing uh, place of its kind. I think you know it's it's very Gettys- Gettysburg is like a is like a kid's drawing compared to Calpens is like a Rembrandt. I mean, it's just really subtle. It's just that's the only thing it I is can very it, to. it is very subdued, and very subtle, and and um, yeah, the 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 rolling and and the swales um, ever so slight. And the slight knolls that that are there um, create these perfect um, pinch points, hiding points, um, defilated mm-hmm. positions that that allow you know for uh, your troops to to go relatively unseen. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when um, the enemy force is looking at head height, maybe, mm-hmm. and your Head height is really at knee height, mm-hmm. um, based on the swells that you're standing in. So, so what do we? Um, Tarleton gets arrives at the battlefield at about what time? About daybreak. Yeah, which is about six thirty, I think, mm-hmm. if, uh, based on the, mm-hmm. you know, what I was at least the research I did. Um, it's uh, been a cold night. It's been below freezing. It has been. It's a still day. Um, he shows up, he takes a look through his spyglass, and what does he see? I think first what he sees is he say, he, he knows that Morgan's there, obviously. Yes. He's chasing him. So he's, I think the first thing he does, and the reason Morgan's on the knoll that he's on, Morgan's Hill as we call it, is so he can be seen. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the next thing he sees is he sees what he believes is the force that Morgan's commanding. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I believe that some of that would have been part of the second line. Mm-hmm. Um, and might have saw some of the riflemen or some of the sharpshooters on the, on the first line. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of those first line, I think, were pretty well hidden. Mm-hmm. And he also sees a, a, um, an obstacle between him and, and Morgan, and that obstacle is going to be the cane break. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this cane break extends... This cane break is probably about, at the time, um, 15 feet tall mm-hmm. and uh, maybe uh, 40 to 50 feet thick. Mm-hmm. And uh, perhaps uh, 300 feet wide. So we can imagine that Charleston's coming on the Green River Road. Right. And right, the battlefield opens up right beyond this cane break. Absolutely. Um, and then about another 50 yards, I'm not certain. Yeah, it's about maybe 50 yards, maybe 100 yards at most. You've got the line of sharpshooters. A line of sharpshooters on a knoll yeah. that is um, doesn't look like much of a knoll from from the elevation of the of the road, mm-hmm. but um, it, it's certainly enough that it gives them a uh, an elevated position to be able to fire down on the troops, not only on the troops that are that are coming through a pinch point in the cane break, 
um, a bottleneck, but also on the troops that are behind the but behind the um, the cane break, so they can kind of fire over the cane break. Um, so Tarleton sends forth. He sends in. Uh, uh, he wants a reconnaissance in force, so he sends in some dragoons. He sends in some dragoons. Are they, are they his in, own guys from the British Legion? Or are they, they are. His whole. It's all his British Legion. Okay. Right. All right. So you referred to his entire force as the British. As Legion. the Legion. Right. Okay. Uh, of course, some of those are part of the. Uh, so he's got hundred. There's about three hundred that are technically part of the British Legion. A- absolutely. And absolutely. then, uh, then there's the 16th Light Dragoons. Right. So he sends um, some of the either one of those in. Either one of those, and then um, and, and, and ultimately, you know, a number of his infantry as well. And they go and they and, get. And they're picked off. they're immediately you know picked off and and um, and yet it's his only way through. Yes. So he's you know he's his goal is to is to get through and reform his lines on the other side of this cane break, and as he's trying to do that, um, these sharpshooters have been given the orders to aim at the guys with the epaulets. So he's basically he's funneling his men through this this sort of gap of where the road goes through the cane break. Right, And then they are spreading out and deploying on either side of the Green River Road, stretching out to one... Absolutely. And as they're doing that, um, the riflemen and the sharpshooters are um, targeting the officers. So... Causing there's a lot, so there's a breakdown of command in the in the army unit, the Tarleton's units that are deploying, um, and there is obviously a lot of anger from veteran these guys. Some of these guys are very veteran soldiers. Mm-hmm. The Highlanders, a lot of them have been through every action. It would seem almost every action of the revolution up to this point, um, and. Uh, they start to advance either at Tarleton's command or by their own initiative before the entire line has been established, right, so, or shaken out. Well, I, I think as the line is establishing. As it, and, as it is know, establishing. As it's establishing. And, um, you know, because at, at that time, at the establishment of that line, that's when that's when the sharpshooters retreat to the second line mm-hmm. of militia. And, um, and that... Again, that that blood in the water, that sense of, you know, elite fighting force and, you know, going up against, they're seeing militia running, Mm -hmm. you know, they love this, they've been in this position Mm -hmm. before, this is is what they do best. It's like Camden all over again. Absolutely. And so, um, without the command of the many officers, uh, um, experienced officers there, uh, many of the troops break ranks. So we would imagine then... No, it depends. The units in the center might have gone. They might. It might have turned into a sort of a bow rather than a line. The, the as the British army more sure as, as they come through and they start to push out and they start to charge forward. Mm-hmm. And many of them are filing in behind, trying to ke- pl- trying to play catch up. Right. And you know, and and they're chasing. They're literally so, chasing these fleeing militia. So there's a ragged bow heading towards what they don't realize is the second is line. This, of, is the second line. And the right. second line is completely of Carolina, Georgia. Right. Militia, absolutely, absolutely, South Carolina, North Carolina, with, a, with an order of two rounds and fall back, which is we, which Morgan has gone around to each campfire the night before. This is attested to by several sources right. that he went to each campfire to talk to the men, encourage them. Some people say he showed him his back where he had the scars of four hundred ninety nine uh, lashes from back in the French Indian War for striking a British officer. Um, other people just, but what he did do, we know is he 
told them repeated over and over again, two shots, two shots to the militia, two mm-hmm. shots. And then he did the positive psychology. Mm-hmm. The old folks will love you and the girls will kiss you. Absolutely. And then repeated that again. Everyone knew what they had to do. Right. By the time he was done. Right. And and humanizing Bannister Tarleton, too. Yes. I think that was another part of it, you know, was because, you know, Bannister Tarleton and what he had done was, was so much larger than life. And so many of these men were probably scared for their lives, thinking that this is it. This is this mm-hmm. is where they're going to leave their life for, for this buddy nation. I mean, and, just as and, Buford and... and uh, Sumter had done once, and you know, uh, there's a long line of people now who have been run over by Tarleton. Right, but humanizing him, you know, mm-hmm. calling him Banny. Banny's on his way, and we're going to beat him. We're mm-hmm. going to give him a whooping, boys. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, talking talking about this larger than life demonic character to them in a way that that makes him small. Even his name mm-hmm. is now small and mm-hmm. banny. Mm-hmm. You know, that uh like a like a little banny rooster almost. Mm-hmm. They um it puts them puts them in perspective for them. It gives mm-hmm. them gives them this sense of leadership and courage that uh, uh maybe they didn't have before and, he came by their campfire. And with a limited idea uh, just a just just two shots. Just two shots. That's Very all you important. Need. That's all you need. And then you've done your and job. And then you fall back to us yeah. and let us handle it. So they, they come up to that second line of militia and they give two shots. And, and they hightail it. And they hightail they it. They hightail it back and over the next little. Note. What are the effects of those shots? Those are. Those, those, those are shots that, uh, that really, you know, they, they were told, you know, wait until you can see. Wait until you, you can see their face. Wait until yeah. you can see their eyes. And then, you know, and then make the shot because now we're muskets. Now we're firing muskets and a few rifles that are inter- intermingled with the with the muskets, but uh, mostly, mostly muskets. Got a hundred, so they're probably firing, well, 100 yards. They're probably sh- shooting at 50 yards. 50 yards, probably. That's and CDIs. then they get the two, they get the two shots off. Then they, then they hightail it to the, um, to the, uh, the third. The so we can imagine one lines. shot and then being very, very conservative. 30 seconds later, the second shot. And. And and that second shot is probably not a well um, aimed shot. That some, second shot is probably more almost an over the shoulder shot. Some of them, but a lot of them are probably shooting buckshot. Some of them are shooting buckshot. Lot, some of maybe them are, most of them. Yeah. Um, and or buck and ball. So there are thirty two cal at least six thirty two caliber balls are going down range. At 25 yards, you don't want to be, you know, in the way of those. That's it's no. deadly stuff. No. Yeah. So they don't, as I recall, they don't suffer any casualty, hardly any casualties up to that point. Up, up to that point. And they, they're, it's assumed that we would have uh, suffered a few. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but not, not, certainly not on the front, on the first line. On the second line, mm-hmm. there would have been a few casualties. Yeah. And then uh, the majority of the casualties would have come, you know. And, they and the, flee. And through the continental ranks, this is Larry Babbitt's point. Right. There's no going around. They, they, I think now, as you've been pointing out to me, now your most recent field archaeology would indicate that's even more the case because the lines are much longer, much wider, much wider, much wider than originally than thought of. Thought. So they have to go through. They can't go around. Right. Um, either the ranks are pulling apart, or the men are stepping apart, or whatever. The militia go through the third line. Of continentals and militia together, which I'm right. going to emphasize right. that, and they go to reform. At that point, they're attacked by one of Tarleton's dragoon forces. One of Tarleton's dragoon forces has entered the entered the field mm-hmm. and um, and it's repelled. Yeah, you know by um, 
Uh, well, there's an initial. Con- they do hit because there's a, there's there an are initial, saber wounds. There's an initial contact. There's yeah. an initial contact on the on the left flank yeah. of, of Morgan's um, forces, um, but uh, but they're um, immediately repelled. You know, after that initial engagement. So William Washington mm-hmm. is a moon-faced Virginian. Uh, looks nothing like his second or third cousin. Um, mm-hmm was a theology student at William and Mary in 1775 and turns into like by five years later, turns into like some sort of natural cavalryman. It's kind of odd. He gets, I think it's gets some fingers shot off at Trenton along with James Monroe, future president of the United States. Um, you know, where that came, it's like one of those mysteries of like character and personality. Where that came from, who knows? He is one of those. He is one of those that that unless you know, unless you know a little bit more about the Revolutionary War and the Southern Campaign, you don't even know he exists. Right, you don't. And when people come here and we start talking about Washington, they're looking uh-huh. on the walls for paintings of George yeah. Washington, and we talk about William Washington and and you know his his uh, relationship to George Washington. They're like, really? I never knew. And uh, it's just didn't, a, didn't think George Washington was allowed to have like relatives, right? You know, right. Like, like he was, gods don't have relatives, exactly, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So, um, he, yeah, and it's always it's always fun to to start to um, help people explore who William Washington mm-hmm. was, and you know, because that's about as much as we can do is help them start to. So Washington comes, and what strikes me, he's only got not ninety dragoons. So even the night before. He's like pulling militia to one side, I guess based on the quality of their horse, who knows, and like giving them a saber and saying, here, go use this. Mm. And that's uh, from the standpoint of like the cavalry of every nation in Europe. Uh, that's an insane way of doing business, and I, you know, that well, it is. But I also think, you know, one of the, one of the things that's important to remember is that by this time, there's there's individuals that had fought in the north, fought yeah. in the war in the north. And had and had moved, you know, down the Great Wagon Road to the south, you know, and and retired from the war. Mm-hmm. And so there was a number of individuals that had been cavalrymen, especially in the Pennsylvanias, that had that are now residing. Do we have, in, do we have demonstration? We do, and one of them is uh, uh, Captain Thomas Gourley. Okay, Captain Thomas Gourley fought in in, in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. fought in Pennsylvania, and um, you know at the beginning of the war as a regular, and then fought at the Battle of Kings Mountain as a as a militiaman. Huh. So so, but we've got Thomas Young too, who's like sixteen, seventeen, mm-hmm. and basically he hasn't fought in the cavalry. Anyway. Right. He right. just gets handed a saber, you right. know, use the point. I guess someone said to him. Um, you know, I guess maybe I, certainly he must have selected the best riders, which is important. That took the British cavalry two years to turn people into good riders. Right. But it take, make building a cavalryman takes a long time. It's, well, riding a horse, riding a horse on your own by yourself, and riding a horse in formation with fifty other men is well, a, a totally different. Uh, using but with your horses horse that don't necessarily know how to ride in formation, that's right? Kind of, or that's a problem or too. know that they're part of the weapon that, yeah, that they, you have become. That's also a problem. Right. But somehow it right. works because they come across these British, I mean, experienced dragoons like um, a wave of thunder. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you have inform- more information than I have, but I don't know how. Um, how prevalent that would have been that it's, that that it wasn't that it wasn't a professional cavalry. It's not prevalent. Yeah, it's I, all. It's I. I, I maybe to fill some fill some gaps. Um, I, may, maybe looking at the numbers, you know. Um, but uh, but the way that they fought and the way that they came onto the field and the immediate repulsion of uh, of uh, 
Tarleton's Dragoons is is um, to me evidence that it was a professional. They uh, some, some of them knew something, right? Uh, and I think uh, some of them fight then again with even Wade Hampton um, at uh, Utah Springs, right? The real Wade Hampton, not Wade Hampton the Fourth, who was in the Civil War. Right. His uh, his dad, his dad, I think actually, yeah, it was. Um, so they must have gotten to a high level of professionalism. And there, you know, there are some theories that Washington himself, that there is, oh, I forget his name now, but it's in a pretty good book on cavalry and the American Revolution, excellent collection of, of essays, that there was um, a Hungarian who had come over with Pulaski and who had schooled the um, Continental Cavalry during the winter of 77, 78. When everyone was at Elson Valley Forge, the cavalry was in Trenton, and apparently he had a riding school. So that would have been where Washington and Benjamin Talmadge, mm-hmm. uh, famous from Turn, um, and more famous now as a spy master than a cavalryman, but that's where a number of these people would have learned to not just ride themselves or ride as cavalrymen, but most importantly, train other people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I, that's, mm-hmm. that's which is a really hard thing to do. Sure, um, you know, I I haven't found any trace of, for example, a farrier. Amongst anyway, I think Lee's Legion had a farrier, uh, uh, basically a horse doctor. They must have done. Um, mm-hmm. Some uh, there's some traces, but this is like cavalry is a very involved art. Sure, it you, is. You know, um, and you have to have a lot of specialists. There's that a there's go a, along with you. There's a lot. There's yeah, a lot that goes along. That goes with a them. lot with it. And mm-hmm. there was, you know, they Lee's Legion had their surgeon and a horse doctor uh, along with them. I, that's in Lee's account and. Um, in other people, I think Alexander Garden's memoirs of Lee's Legion as well. But anyway, William Washington somehow turns himself into a cavalry. He sweeps back the attack, and now what? Where are we now? There, the Charleston's advancing so now, on the third so, line. So now we, so now we've got um, the engagement of the third line, and you've got the Highlanders coming in on the on the right flank of uh, of the. Um, so they're on Tarleton's left. He's moving them around to Morgan's right. right. They're sort of pressing on the. They start to press on the right Morgan's right flank, which is a group of it's a company of Virginia militia, I think, right? Uh, and and some regulars. And some regulars. And, um, and they ultimately, um, as the as the Highlanders are coming in on the right, um, the order comes to to reform. On so, so we imagine they're a long line, and they if you could like make a thing with your elbow or your, uh, with your arm. There, and twist your hand back at an angle. That's what they're. That's the motion they're supposed to make. Right? Yeah, that's the motion they're, they're supposed, supposed to make. make. So you. So you ultimately end up with almost like an L. Yeah, they right. fall back, so they're like a almost L. Almost an L. That's the. That's and the yet, command they had been given. That's the command that they had been given, but yet the command was misinterpreted as a as a um, retreat command. So they turn one eighty and they start to march. As if you cut off your hand and start moving it back. Start moving your hand. Don't do that at home. Right. And so they start doing that. The people to their immediate left see this happening. And, of course, they don't want to have their flank exposed to Highland attacks. So they turn around. They start marching back. Right. So before you know it, you've got the line is starting to retreat. Uh, what would they say? An echelon, uh, one at a time, one company right, at a time. Right, and in in a not so orderly, in an orderly fashion, but in and not in the ideal fashion of retreat, because you are opening up your flank. Right, and um, Morgan Morgan sees this. Morgan recognizes what's happened. He, he recognizes it not again. 
His leadership knows, he knows through his leadership yeah. that these men are not retreating out of fear. They're not retreating well, out not of... Well, for, at least under, under, under John Eager Howard's account of it, he says that Morgan comes to him and expresses his concern or his displeasure, which I figure has to be the ultimate understatement of the American Revolution. <laughs> um, so, and Howard says to him, look at how they are retreating. No one... Uh, no one retreating so orderly as fleeing. Right. What's that effect, right. You know. I think I think he was more he was more um, agitated about the fact that it looked like his right his right flank was collapsing. Okay. Yeah. And um, and there was no reason for no it. reason for because it, yeah. there was no force that should have been doing that. I and, mean, and I should say he had just been coming from forming the militia up in the back. Right. He's he's always everything that he's had. Everything that he's had has gone to plan. Yeah. And and here's something happening that he doesn't that he didn't compute. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I think he was more agitated and irritated about that than. Um, then it, you know, I, I find it hard to believe that a full-on conversation happened. That what's you know, why are the men running? I don't, I don't see that. I don't see that Daniel Morgan would have, would have been. Um, I think, I think you're right in saying that he probably expressed himself in terms that were not so subtle, forceful you know, terms, more, more of you know, what the heck is going on yeah. here. Then, um, and then Howard says something, and then he says, "Okay, fine." I mean, this is a fast battle. Yes, um, it's very fast paced. And then he wheels around and he rides back to what's now called Morgan's Hill, right? Or beyond the other side. No, and, he's he's at Morgan's, and Hill. he's at Morgan's Hill, and he then uh, rides to where he wants them to stop. So he marks out the position and waits for them there, so they know where they can bear. They can retreat to him, and then. And then, which is very close, which is very, which is allowing the Highlanders, you know, to get very, very close behind them. Because now, again, this this whole idea of the bulldog or the shark and yeah. with the blood in the water idea that that his, that that Morgan had baited um, Tarleton with from the initial onslaught of running, you know, firing and running, I equated to kicking a mean dog and then turning around and running. That dog doesn't want to get kicked again, right. so he's going to back up. But as soon as you turn around and run, he's going to come after and you. And we're dealing with people here uh, who not that long ago have thought a form of a, a, a reasonable form of attack is kicking off their shoes and running barefoot, you know, with their bayonets. Were they probably some of them were still probably doing that probably at the Calpins, you know, uh, with their bayonets or their claymores, saying, you know, at a retreating enemy. That's like good so, good times. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, to 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 turn at just the right time so with difficult. what is just a, a devastating fire, almost in unison, you know, on a force that's probably not more than fifteen to twenty feet away from you. Yeah, um, is, we, we know is a game changer. We know from the research from back in the seventies that a lot of those, some of those Marylanders were very new Irish immigrants. Right, but we also know that some of them were very old soldiers, right. and that that leaven in the ranks had made that it's a, I think it's a composition force and it's not all first Maryland, is it? But anyway, but it's Maryland, it's Kirkwood's company of Delawares who that group has been, they were the Delaware regiment and they've dwindled and dwindled and dwindled until there's about 60 of them. And they are the best. The, the, they've been refined down into the best by this time. And they know exactly when to stop, and they know exactly how to aim, and they know exactly when to do it, and then they can charge with the bayonet. Um, well, it was um, it was certainly a devasta- a devastating effect on on the right uh, on the right side of the uh, 
the line, which which really then help fold in that first um, pincher of yeah. the inve- of the double envelopment. Yeah. Um, you know, because once once those men once those men were able to about face and make that fire and then start to march again and swing back in, mm-hmm. um, they're they're starting to close that. Then it turns. Is there a, is there a bayonet shoving match? There are bayonet wounds in Calpens. There are some. There are some bayonet wounds. Some some are not sure that it's not uh, that they aren't after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. That right. they aren't after the fact. People poking his corpse or a wounded man or. Or just yeah, somebody that's trying to so, surrender. Yeah, trying to surrender. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, it's relatively. I mean, there's arguments about this how how common bayonet wounds are. Um, uh, some people say you never see them, um, but there are saber wounds at cow pens. There are some bayonet wounds at cow pens. Mm-hmm. We, we know that from the pension records. Mm-hmm. Um, so they start to they are moving in for the kill now. The third line, mm-hmm. the cavalry wheels around. They attack from the, the British right flank. Mm-hmm. And now the militia are reformed. Right. And now they come and they start pop, pop, popping at, on the flank of the Highlanders. Well, actually, no, they're, they're, they, there's, some, they? there's some that are on that flank, but the majority of them are actually with the, on, on the flank with the um, cavalry. With the cavalry. Okay, so right. that's good. We have to right. change our map. Then. Right. The map usually has them, even the reformed map has them coming around the, to the... The American right. That, that the cavalry? No, the um, militia. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I have to change that map in my mind. But, right. Yeah. Right. So they start, and they must have been still shooting. They don't have bayonets. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So. There's not a lot. As, as, as Tarleton sees what's happening and decides, and his dragoons have left the battlefield. Yeah. The, um, by that time, the British Legion, his own personal hand-picked loyalist dragoons, Basically, run. Yeah, they 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 leave to try to fight another day. Yeah. they know this battle is lost. As uh, one infantryman, many infantrymen have said in the history of warfare, no one ever saw a dead cavalryman. Right. Yeah. Not true, but right. at a moment like that, you can you can certainly believe it. Well, if you got if you got a way out of it, <laughs> it's not looking good. <laughs> uh, the shoes on the other foot. Let's right? see, let's see how fast this horse can go. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then and then uh, from there, you know, you have the the um, the dub, double envelopment that takes place, and you know, the legend is is made. Yeah. The only the only one of the American Revolution, and you know, one of the only successful. Double envelopments in all of military history. Right, um, uh, the often achieved, uh, often attempted, rarely achieved. It's the ultimate. It's the ultimate checkmate. Ever since, ever since that damn Hannibal. Yeah, and, exactly. And Canada, you know, everyone wants to. Everyone Everybody wants, wants to do it because it's the perfect. It is the perfect maneuver. Um, so he does it, um, and they're off. So we figure that Tarvin shows up at around six thirty. What's the est- best estimate for sort of the first gunfight shot? That's, um, I know this is a terrible question to ask. Yeah, I, I just don't know. I we, mean, it's, no really, it's going to be somewhere right around 635, 640, somewhere around there. Things are done by 8 o'clock. Well, they're done a lot sooner they're than that. They're a lot that. sooner than that. Some of the traditions will say that this was an hour and a half battle. That can't be that long. It's come down to an hour. Um, when we uh, stepped it out on the 225th yeah. with um, forces and cavalry and the distances that were supposedly, it was 18 minutes. <laughs> so, and you walked the battlefield it's with me today. Easy. It's not a, it's, it's not, not hard. A, it's not you, a big, it's not a big space. You walk, you can, a very casual walk, um, 
stopping occasionally. You can walk easily 20 minutes right. all the way down the battlefield. And you're talking cavalry and you're talking men that are chasing down other men, men that are running, yeah. men that are reforming, you know, in, in particular areas. Um, I, I imagine it was probably somewhere around that 20-minute mark. And Morgan, he sends out pursuit force. Uh, he sends out um, some of Washington's cavalrymen. Well, actually, yeah, and William Washington himself. And he sends out Washington. He sends out Kirkwood and his Delawares, mm-hmm. and then he packs up and runs for the hills. Uh, he is on his way. That's very key to this battle, I think, mm-hmm. is how fast he leaves it. Oh yeah, yeah, because um, he knows now that he is running. He's basically got a clock in his head. He does, and it's a clock. How long it's going to take him to get to the across the Broad to the Catawba and the Yadkin? So those are three lap split, you know. And how the other one is how fast Tarleton will get to Cornwallis, right. and how fast then the other lap how Cornwallis will get to him. Right. Right. So it's and that's all part of the chess game. Yeah. And that's the really actually for writing it the really fun chess game. Well, and of, knowing and knowing too that what he's just done. Yeah. to the British Army is put them in a different position. What do you think he's done? What do you think he... I, I, I think the, what I think, do you think he did or what, so what I he think thought the, he did? I think the, 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 the mental... The, the mental saber wound to the to the British Army at that at that point in time, let's face it, they, they had lost their left arm in, um, in uh, Ferguson uh, four months earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They lost their best opportunity to create loyalist militias and perhaps even a South Carolina provincial regiment. And to turn and to turn the hearts. Turn the hearts and minds. Turn the hearts. Right. This, and this was the last. So he attempt. lost that in October. Yeah. And now here we are in January, and his elite fighting force, his his best best of the best, is bested, mm-hmm. and 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 decimated. Yeah. Entirely decimated. What are the numbers? I mean, the numbers are outrageous. They, um, they are, and I. Yeah, you know, I can't. I, but basically, all the cavalry get away. That's something like. Well, not all the cavalry. Not all, only only two hundred. Yeah, maybe? about two hundred. About two hundred. Two hundred out of eleven hundred yeah. soldiers managed to escape. Everyone else killed and wounded. Killed or captured. Killed or, or captured. Right. Um, there's something like eight hundred prisoners heading for POW camps right. in Virginia and Maryland. Right. Um, that's so, extremely important for exchange. That's it is, extremely it, important it, it, it to, he's taking it away from it, Cornwallis. It is huge. It is yeah. huge because now he's he's also but the but the mental factor yeah. associated with that. Tarleton's lost. That in this short period of time, yeah. in this very short period of time from the time that Cornwallis had had landed in the south to this, you know, this this movement across the south. Yeah. And then in in less than four months, he's lost basically his right arm and his left arm of mm-hmm. his army. Mm-hmm. Now he's all that he's got left so is the, Camden, main, the main and, body. At Camden in August, it seemed that it would be inevitable that South Carolina and Georgia would remain royal provinces, even if the British lost the rest of America. Right. It, which they didn't think they were going to do at the pace that they were moving and, and, and with the recruiting that was happening in the upstate. And then all of a sudden... Kings Mountain destroys that attempt at recruiting up upstate, and so what can you do? The only thing you can do if you're Cornwallis is try to eliminate Morgan. Right, because it's the only thing you can do because he understands, as Green understands, to his bones and has since 
1776, Nathaniel Green has believed that the enemy, the, the Continental Army is the heart of the people. Right. And as long as the army exists, there'll be a, there'll be a cause. Yeah. And that's what he's trying to do then in the Carolinas. And right. Cornwallis, Cornwallis is not an idiot. He realizes that too. If he can eliminate Morgan, he can put the upcountry back into play. Right. I mean, he, and common sense would have common sense would have said he should regroup. Mm-hmm. Right. He yeah. should reform, regroup and reform. But that's not what he does. Yeah. He goes on the chase. That's and right. Guilford Courthouse. And then he goes, yeah. Yeah. And then he makes the fatal the fatal decision to turn towards Wilmington. Right. And then the even more fatal decision at right. Wilmington to not go back into South Carolina, but right. to head north seeking further adventure. Right. All those turning points. All those turning points. Right. Lots of turning points. <laughs> Lots of contingent moments. Absolutely. Uh, history is about humans and humans making choices. Absolutely. Well, this has been great. Um you obviously want every listener to come to Cowpens and to one of the Southern campaigns. Um, if they can't come to one of the sites of the Southern campaigns, what can they do to learn more about? Oh, sure. This? There's lots of lots other, of ways. other than buying my book. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's there's yeah. lots of there's lots of opportunities. One of the greatest opportunities is a partnership we've entered into with the um, South Carolina Educational Television, uh-huh. and there's a, a series of. Um, of shorts that are about five to seven to eight minutes long each um, that are about uh, we, we've done eight so far I think we did uh, um, we did Camden we did 96 we did um, Musgrove Mill hmm. we did uh, Cowpens Kings Mountain Guilford Courthouse Brattonsville wow um, so you really are thinking you guys are not thinking selfishly oh no I mean, I've heard like all these places half of them more than half are not your parks, not your sites. Right. We're, we're, we're truly honored to, you know, to represent the National Park Service and therefore the American public and, and helping to bring the education and understanding of the Southern Campaign of the American Revolution um, to those who wish to learn it. Well, well that's that was so said very smoothly. I really, really appreciate it. Sure. Well, there's so much more. There's so much more to that, though, than just the four sites that I oversee in Guilford Courthouse and Morris Creek, which yeah. fall under the auspice of of the National Park Service and really, you know, the hundreds, more than more battles and skirmishes fought in South Carolina than any other state, fully almost one third. Maybe New Jersey. No, nope. everybody, really? everybody, everybody everybody says that. Be, everybody says that, but you gotta do the math. <laughs> okay. and, uh, okay. But uh, but fully fully about a third of the battles yeah. in the American Revolution battles and skirmishes in the American Revolution were fought in South Carolina. Yeah. And not, the, the point being that not as many even even New Jerseyans didn't want to kill each other as badly as South Carolina. As badly as they did down here. Yeah, right? that's what they did. Or were, they as to. Willing, were as willing to kill their yes. bro- literally their yeah. brother. And so when we have the opportunity to partner with Camden and what and the efforts that they have down there going on, or the South Carolina Battleground Trust and the preservation of of um, Hanging Rock and or mm-hmm. you know um, um, some of the other some of the other sites, those are those are unique opportunities for us to be able to leverage our brand and the National Park Service and the Arrowhead and the Flat Hat to be able to help bring this story to America. Mm-hmm. And it's also my responsibility as the superintendent to create this environment and this ap- atmosphere of inclusiveness so that we can all understand and own not just our place and our time and our point in history, but that we are part of this bigger campaign. So we'll put some links to those uh, videos with SC 
TV? Yeah, SCE TV. I think if you go to knowitall.org, okay. knowitall.org, K-N-O-W-I-T-A-L-L.org, if you go to knowitall.org and you just type in Southern Campaign, you're going to bring up these um, these uh, videos. And there's also curriculum there mm-hmm. if you want to use it in a classroom with lesson plans. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this has been a great partnership uh, with uh, South Carolina Educational Television. We've been working extensively with uh, the American Battle- Battlefield Trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Formerly the Civil War Battlefield Trust. For- formerly the Civil War yeah. Trust. And uh, and to preserve battlefields in in uh, in the South. Well, we're going to get to that in just a second. But um, what uh, you you're going to when you redo the place here, you're going to set up a little place for what video conferencing so that you can do classrooms. We are. We yeah. we, we, so, I mean, we that's something a, college even college professors could take advantage of. Absolutely, you know, a- um, absolutely. We we have a lot of colleges that will come here and bring their students their classrooms. We go, you know, sometimes it's a history class, sometimes it's a social sciences class. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's an engineering class, oh. and um, they'll come and and one of our goals is to build a um, an electronic media center that's going to be um, fully integrated with touch screens and downloadables and a podcast center in there so we can actually do live feeds into classrooms or into you know whether those are university classrooms or first grade classrooms and uh, um, uh, open up the opportunity to really tell this story um, internationally if you, necessary. You've been doing some battlefield archaeology here and elsewhere. We have. Is that going to be? Uh, is there going to be opportunity for say uh, college students to be able to volunteer for that? Or? You bet. We have. We have an excellent program that we started two years ago with um, University of South Carolina and the South Carolina Institute for. Um, uh, um, anthropology and archaeology yeah. and um, down there at Skia uh-huh. and Dr. Smith down there and we, we established a, um, a field school, an archaeological field school at 96 Excellent. which is in, in my opinion of, of all the historic sites associated with the American Revolution in the South, 96 is the most extant and intact and, and probably even lesser known than Cowpens. You don't go there unless you're going there. I, 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 love, really that. I love that place. <laughs> and, and it is really it is really the crossroads where it's where the first battle, first land battle in, yes. in south of New England took place. Yeah. Literally, we'll be celebrating that anniversary next week. Yeah, and one of the last uh, land battles in in the south took place there too. Absolutely, so, absolutely. The siege, the, the longest siege. siege of the American Revolution. Yeah, where we have the tunnel. Thaddeus Kosciuszko's tunnel yeah. that he was digging to try to breach the, the Star Fort and the Star Fort, the Earthen Star Fort is still there. It's, still it's there. just an amazing place. I mean, I mean, it is true that, at, for example, at Yorktown, some of the <clears throat> some of the earthworks were slightly rebuilt. Yeah. But uh, you do what you have to do. But at the, but it's still Star Fort never got touched. Right. At, at 96. It just stayed there. No right. one plowed it. No one turned it into a field. It just stayed there. For, for 200. And that tunnel for 200 years has been buried, literally buried. Right. Um, and just still there. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible what, what, what folks will go to to preserve their history when they know it's important. Yeah. And yet we've, 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 we've um, preserved it. But we haven't done a very good job as a nation of owning it. Yeah. And that's my goal is to help every American own this story. And whether it's they own the place or they just own the ideas and and the um, the aptitudes and the institutionalization and the and the personalities of the American Revolution in the South, 
is really kind of comes back to who we are as a nation. It's where the spirit of patriotism was born. When Daniel Morgan and Nathaniel Green talk about spiriting up the people, this is it. And this is what it was. When you reach in deep into the Appalachians, you know, and, 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 and you pull folks down from their homes 200 miles away to come fight, you know, for a cause, that's, that's the essence of the spirit of patriotism. My guest today has been John Slaughter. He's superintendent of? The Southern Campaign of the American Revolution Parks Group. Thanks so much for doing Historically Thinking and sort of podcasting the book with me. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming in and enjoying the uh, site. Uh, it's wonderful. It's like, as I said, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm at Disney World. I'm not going. I'm already there. For more historical thinking, go to our Facebook page where you can comment on today's program and suggest ideas for programs to come. Please subscribe to us on Apple iTunes. And if you like what you've heard, please, please leave a review so that others can find us. Our program's editor is John Runnett. I'm your host, Al Zambone. Talk to you next week.